0: Here we go, guys. This is the Dirt Bike Channel Podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I'm Kyle Brotherson. This is my podcast. This is my little thing that I do. You might have seen me on YouTube, any of those other places, Facebook, Instagram. We are on all those places just kind of making a mess of things and trying to add some value at the same time. So I'm glad that you are here. Today's podcast is going to be kind of a fun one. Uh, you can call this like a top 10 writing tips or a top 10 ways to not suck or things to work on for your off-road slash enduro slash uh, whatever it is weekend warrior have fun or maybe i'm a guy that likes to go racing every couple of weekends or a couple times a year i'm not necessarily that guy although this year i probably have to get the monkey off my back and enter into a couple of races so that people can stop asking me to go to races i think that'll probably be something that i do this year just literally to get people to stop bugging me about it is do a couple races uh, just for fun and see how things go see what things i can learn from that But today, we're going to be talking about top 10 writing tips. Now, these, I don't want you guys to to feel like these are like the top, you know, these are the only top 10 things or that this list is all inclusive or anything like that, or even that it's necessarily in a particular order because it's not. Uh, These are just 10 things that I think are very important things for us to be thinking about and to be working on. I did a video on this on YouTube a couple of years ago, I think. Um, And so I'm going to follow a little bit of that same type of outline uh, that I had for that video, but I'm going to try to go into a little bit more depth and maybe just get a little bit more long winded on here because that's the fun thing about the podcast format is that allows people to get long winded. Now, I don't want to take up an hour on this, but we'll see how long it goes. I mean, here we are. We're almost two minutes into this and I haven't even told you one thing yet, but Part of this is just entertainment. So you can be driving down the road and hear people talking about dirt bikes. This is what I do. I listen to all kinds of podcasts. So anyway, let's talk about some tips. I'm going to list 10 of them in no particular order. But this first one, I do really want to drive home and have the emphasis on this one because I get it a lot. And it always comes up to me when people start talking to me about how, oh, my seat is so hard you know, the other week or a couple weeks ago when we were down riding the beta in Warner Valley in St. George, Utah, the other guys mentioned to me how freaking hard, like really hard the seat is on that 2020 beta, uh, 300 RR race edition. And it is very hard. I didn't even realize it until they brought it up. But the thing that what they've actually done is they've actually just strapped some, uh, some, uh, you know, canvas or whatever, uh, Naga hide, whatever you want to call it over an actual two by four, a shaped two by four. And then uh, Yeah, because the thing is stinking, stinking stiff. If you think KTM seats are stiff, you should check out this beta race edition seat. But the reason why I bring that up is because anytime people talk to me about, oh, my seat is too hard, it reminds me um, that they should be standing up more or that I should be standing up more. If my seat is hurting me, it's like this thing like, oh, I should stand up. Standing up on the pegs and standing up for this enduro style riding is literally the best Tip that I can give anyone. And I know that when you're first starting out, standing up on the pegs feels awkward. It feels like you don't have maybe quite as much throttle control because you're trying to hold yourself up and support the weight of your upper body with your hands and in your wrist and and you know it kind of gets funny with your throttle control and things. And the first thing that people want to do when it gets nasty and it gets gnarly and rocky and loose, the first thing that they want to do, and sometimes in some situations, the first thing I want to do is sit down. You know, because you feel like you're more stable, you're lower to the ground. It means that you can start paddling, you know, like putting your feet out and stuff. And, and I'm not saying that I never paddle. There are certain times where I have to sit down to get more traction or to get some momentum up a hill or to paddle through a section or whatever. So it's not like I'm saying you have to stand up all of the time, hundred percent. But what I am saying is for the type of riding that I am doing, I'm now standing up more than 95% of the time. I'm standing up all the time. And there's a huge, super good reason for it. all the best riders that I know, the riders that are better than me, because I'm not saying I'm a pro or anything. I'm just an above average rider, but they all stand and they all, they almost never sit. You know, I mean, obviously in corners, if it's a, excuse me, if it's a really tight corner or something like that, then yeah, let's go ahead and sit. But I think so many of us are sitting in corners where we could, we could otherwise be standing up. You're spending so much energy by stand, sit, stand, sit, stand, sit. If you think it's hard to stand all day, try stand, sit, stand, sit, stand, sit all day. That'll wear you out worse. You know, and there are some writers that just want to sit down, you know, because maybe that's the stage of life that they're in or whatever. But I'm just saying to you, If you want the bike to be able to perform at its utmost highest potential where the suspension can move underneath you and the bike can move underneath you and the chassis can get a little bit upset, but you have enough, you know, enough leeway with your legs, you're going to be in a better position. We people talk about hanging onto the bike and squeezing the bike super tight. That's only in some situations. If you want to, if you want to squeeze the bike super tight, going down, whoops at fourth gear, that's probably a really good idea. But if you're like just going through nasty, rocky single track and stuff, watch Graham Jarvis, watch the trials riders. Those guys are standing up on the pegs. There's a, there's no seat on a trials bike, <laughs> you know, and they're standing up on the pegs and they've got their legs out. Their knees are kind of out where they can kind of, the bike can flow underneath them. They can move around and they can, they can get better balance. We have so much better balance when we're standing. It's like not even, it's not even in the same stratosphere. When you stand up, you have so much better balance. And so when you're first learning to dirt bike, you're going to be sitting on the seat because you're going to be uncomfortable and things. What I'm asking you to do, or if you're a beginner and if you're just looking to, you know, progress a little bit is to stand more, stand until your back hurts and then keep standing. And the other thing is hinge at the waist, be in more of the attack position. So use those strong muscles in your legs to keep yourself up. Don't just be, don't just be like, you know bent over you need to like hinge at the waist get into an attack position where your back is straight you know and your arms are you know not locked because you want you want stiff arms but you don't want your elbows to be locked because that's a great way to hurt your elbows you know but i'm um, you find something that's comfortable for you and most riders if they're you know below six two they don't need bar risers. I know a lot of people like bar risers makes it really much more comfortable for you in the beginning to stand up on the bike because you, you're not bent over so much. But what that does is it takes weight off the front wheel and that's not something that you want. So adjust your body position. You can move the, you can move the bars forward in the triple clamps. If you're, if your bike, uh, uh, if your triple clamps allow that, but I'm just telling you be standing up, be in the tack position, especially when it's gnarly. You know, the only times I really sit down now, or if it's a super tight corner or if, or if I've got like a long straightaway, I am super exhausted and I know I've got a lot of miles ahead of me and I get a long straightaway where there's no bumps or anything. Sometimes I'll sit down on the seat to take a little bit of a breather. Other times, if I'm going up a hill where I've, it's loose and nasty and I'm trying to get traction, I'll sit down, you know, in those t- situations. But the rest of the time I'm standing up and the more gnarly it is, I stand up even on downhills. I stand up on the pegs. As steep as it is, I will be standing up on the pegs and pushing my weight all the way back because you can actually get your weight further back on the bike if you're standing up because your legs push you back off of those foot pegs and you can get your butt way out over the rear fender, which you can't do if you're sitting down. So steep uphill, obviously you're going to have to gauge that, you know, whether or not you can, how much of the hill you can stand up on. Sometimes you stand up at the beginning of a hill climb and then you end up sitting down your butt towards the end. Um, but on any big obstacle, like if you got a wall hit or, or like a big, uh, rock step up kind of at the top of that thing, you're going to need to take your butt off the seat and stand up and get over that thing. So that's my number one tip. And it is, I want to drive it home. These are probably not in any particular order, but that first one, I think it is in that order. Stand up more, stand up, be in that attack position, especially when it's gnarly up or downhills. Let's get you standing up and that's going to help. Okay. Moving on. Number two in this list is look ahead. Okay. So too many people are just staring at their front fenders or their front wheel, and they're not looking far enough ahead. And that makes you very uh reactionary. What I want you to be is more proactive. If you can be looking ahead, I mean one of the ways to look at, I was I was at a a clinic with uh, like a day clinic with Shane Watts in his Dirtwise Dirtwise School. And I think one thing he said is for every gear, you need to be looking at least that many bike lengths ahead. So if you're in first gear, you need to be looking, you know, seven to ten feet ahead of you. Uh if you're in second gear, you need to be looking, you know, 15 to 20 feet ahead of you and so on and so forth. So you're looking far ahead. Most of the time, it obviously depends on the terrain and and how fast you're going and all these things, but force yourself to keep your eyes up and be looking ahead of yourself. Don't be just watching an obstacle all the way in. Every once in a while you will have to use, you know, watch an obstacle closer into you, but I don't in unless we're doing like 1 or 2 miles an hour, we probably shouldn't be watching that obstacle all the way in. To the front tire unless it has to have like an absolute super precise wheel placement on that particular obstacle that you're getting through it's better for you to start creating lines inside of your mind and letting your brain process and you'll see something 20 feet out and then you'll make a minute calculation to get it to 12 feet out but then boom you're now you've already committed to that line and you're looking for the next obstacle the next line up ahead of you and the further up that you can look the more that you're going to you know the more that your speeds are going to be able to increase and the more that you're planning ahead and not, and you're being proactive in your line selection. And it's going to help. I mean, I just thought of another one that I could add into here, which I guess I will is just straight lines are strong. Um, So anytime that you see an obstacle or, or, or a series of obstacles and things, a lot of times people are looking to like curve their way through it or wind their way through it. I think in many cases, that's a mistake and you'd be better off to just commit to one straight line and go through it. And that goes to my second uh, or my third mo- third tip here is carrying more momentum than you think you need. So that's that's kind of like a, a talking about straight lines or strong is a perfect segue into carrying more momen- momentum than you need. Uh, a couple months ago, I was doing a... Um, uh, we were doing a little hard enduro um, training with Rich Larson, uh, super great uh, off-road enduro, hard enduro kind of guy, uh, enduro cross kind of guy, racer, you know, a top 10 dude and just top 10 as far as in racing. He's more than a top 10 dude. He's a, he's a, he's a top notch dude. He's a number one. <laughs> he's the number one dude, really fun guy, a good trainer. And one of the things that he talked to us about in that uh, little training session that I thought was very, very um, you know, timely is just carrying more momentum, just a little bit more momentum than you think you need. Momentum is your friend. And I think we know this to a certain extent in dirt bikes, but sometimes it's easy to forget. And I think about this, we've, we've done a couple of rides recently. I haven't been riding a lot because it's January and there's snow in Utah, but about, I think it was January 3rd, we were out in the West desert and I was doing some hard enduro riding. I broke the fender off my bike and I tumble it off a cliff and all this stuff. And we were doing some nasty, it was basically a training day for me. It was going out and it wasn't going to be like, Oh, we're going to have this amazing fun ride. I had fun, but it was, it was a lot of, um, training. Some of the rides that I go on, I think this is going to be a training ride and I'll look at it that way. And I'll view it that way. And other rides, I'm like, Hey, this is going to be a go out and just have fun ride. And I, I look at them different ways. But when I was out there, I was thinking about what Rich was talking about to me and carrying a little bit more momentum into some of these things than I than I otherwise would. I'm not talking about double the momentum, but you see a scary obstacle like a rock step or a ledge or something like this. And if you go too slow up to it, there's a high po- probability that you're going to get hung up on that. And so if in your mind, you just commit a little bit more and carry just a little bit more momentum than, you're, than you think you need, you have a much better you know, you have a much better, uh, chance of making it over that obstacle. I've seen it time and time and time again, where you, maybe you've got a big wall. We were down there in St. George and there was a couple of like these kind of like off camber wall hits. One of them was like a, you know, the whole climb up of a, up a little waterfall section was like a 20 foot ascent. Now it's not 20 feet straight up. There's a couple different sections to it and things, but it was super, super intimidating. And the first time I went up it, I just, I was telling myself the one thing I do not want to do is get up three quarters of the way and run out of power and, and not make it. I've done that before. Like about a year ago, I was down in Green River and I think there was this, I can't remember what it was called, but Tyler was showing me this thing called the lifter or something where it's this, you've got a sand hill, you know, a steep, steep sand hill that you have to go through third gear pin. And then you hit this wall that's like a 20 foot wall and it's almost straight up. And you climb up about 25 feet and then it starts to roll off of that a little bit, roll off and level out a little bit. And then there's, there's two different step ups up there and for like steps that you have to get over. And so what was happening with me is I, I was like, I'm not really feeling that, but I would go and I would hit it after I saw Tyler do it like four times. Um, And he wasn't pressuring me into it, but I felt the pressure of it. And I was like, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it, but I watched him do it so many times. Then I go and I hit the thing. And so I'm pinned in, well, almost pinned in third gear, getting through the deep sand. And then you hit the wall. And at that point, I start to let off the gas a little bit. And here's the problem. When you start to let off the gas and you're in third gear and you're going up a 60 degree angle, you bleed speed like crazy. And then you get up there to the top and you've got these step ups. And I started to like drop momentum. What I should have been doing is just staying on the gas a little bit and just feathering the clutch maybe or the other thing I could have done is stomp down in the second gear. But the point is I wasn't carrying enough momentum by the time I got to the top and I stalled the bike twice. One of the times I got lucky and I just had it kind of hanging there on the side and I was able to drive it down, uh, ride it down. The second time I wasn't so lucky. I'm like, I won't do that. And I didn't carry enough momentum. I was just kind of, I don't know what word I can use. It's, um, There's a word sticking in my head, but I don't want to use it because this is a family show. Um, But I wasn't carrying enough momentum momentum, and it really bit me and I ended up tumbling down that thing and bruising my tailbone, uh, my coccyx, my tailbone, right? And it hurt for like six or eight months. Sometimes I can still feel it a little bit. And it was because I wasn't carrying enough momentum. And then when we were out there on this training ride, or just, you know, a couple of weeks ago out in the, out in the West desert, there was a couple of obstacles that I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to carry a little bit more momentum than I normally do. Cause I've done these obstacles multiple times and I've gotten hung up on them. Like, you know, about 50% of the time I'm getting hung up on these things. Cause it wedges you down in these little funnel things. And you so you're worried about your, your pegs. You're worried about your pipe. You're worried about all these things. And then you get hung up on it. Well, this time I just took a little bit more momentum into those obstacles than I thought I needed. And boom, I shot up the other side, you know, and one of the times I did have to kind of put a foot down, but the point is I didn't get hung up on the obstacle because I was carrying a little bit more momentum than I thought I needed makes a big difference. So carry more momentum than you think you need. I'm not talking like 50% more, let's just say, you know, 15, 20% more momentum than you think you need. And you'll be amazed how much that helps you get through some of these obstacles. Uh tip number four, bike setup. So this is something that a lot of people don't really think about when they go get a new bike. They just they just get a new bike and they're like, hey, this is set up from the factory, I'm good to go. Uh there are some things that you definitely, definitely need to do in order to help yourself and give yourself the best uh probable chance of enjoying that bike. Uh for me, because I'm right kind of in the weight range, I'm weighing like 165. Uh, 165, 170. I don't have to do a lot to the bikes as far as like changing suspension and changing spring rates. But know that if you're, you know, let's say if you're, I'll just say it, if you're 200 pounds or more, you're probably going to need uh, stiffer springs on your bike. If you're under 150 pounds, you may need lighter springs for your bike. These are wide ranges, um, but just know that you will need uh, to do some different things for your bike based off of your weight, and that's going to really help you. Now, as far as like bars, so handlebars. Um on some of the bikes like I mentioned before, you can move them forward or back and based on how tall you are or based on what your riding preference is, how long your legs are, how long your arms are, you might want to move your bars forward or back. Another thing though is right there on the bars are your controls. So controls can be moved up and down. I'm talking about brake and clutch. Those are the main things. We want to get these things in a position that is easy for us to get to actuate them in while we're sitting and we're standing. Definitely. We want to make sure that we can do it while we're standing. So if you have your levers down too low, like if you adjust them really low for when you're standing, this is a mistake that sometimes people make. They're like, Hey, look, because of the angle of my arms and everything, I'm going to adjust my levers so that they're way down. So it's a really natural position for me when I'm standing. Well, then guess what happens when you actually have to sit your butt down on the seat. Now you can't reach your levers anymore. And I've seen times where people have got their levers down too low. And they, you know, then are on a hill climb or something, and they have to sit their butt down on a seat on the seat because they got kind of dropped back or something, or they sit down to get some traction. And then suddenly they don't, they can't reach the lever anymore. And that will mean they either loop the bike out or they power the bike out because they don't have a way to, you know, grab that little grab the clutch or heaven forbid the brake because it's too far down. So you want your, you want your levers to be, you know, and everyone's a little different. I'll put my not and, and you don't want them too high either. I mean, if you have your levers up way too high, then you won't be able to use them at all while you're standing. And this whole thing is going to part it's all falling apart. So I like to have them a little bit below level. Like if you looked from the side, I don't want them level because that's really high. I want them down a little bit. Maybe I don't know what, how far to say down 10, 15 degrees or something, but you'll, you'll get a feel for it. And I also like to just uh, put some Teflon tape under my levers. And that allows them to, it allows me to get them tight enough where they don't move on their own, but loose enough that they can spin when I take a digger or the bike tips over or something like that. You know, they can move out of the way without just breaking. So that's another thing. And also I'll move my clutch and brake lever in towards the center of the bars so that the actual end of the bar is the first thing that hits rather than my levers. And then I don't break them. Obviously, there's a lot of you guys are just that are just going to run a full wrap handguard. And that's totally cool. That will help there as well. I've just kind of moved away from the full wrap handguards. I won't get into that. That's a whole, uh, it's a whole nother whole podcast of whether we're going to go full wrap handguards or not. Either way, doing what, whatever you want to do, just make sure you get your clutch and your brake adjusted. And the other thing I would say is use only one or two fingers. There's absolutely no reason. On on these modern dirt bikes, I can't think of a good reason for you to use more than two fingers on your brake. And I can't even remember the last time I did use two fingers on my brake. I opt for my, on my brake, it's on your right hand. I opt for my right index finger is the only finger that I'm going to use for the brake. All of the bikes that I'm riding have good enough hydraulic brakes, whether it's a Brembo brake or a Nissan brake or a Magura brake, they all work, you know, so much better than like the old drum brakes in the past or whatever. You don't need two fingers. You can stand the bike up in a, a stoppy with just one finger. And there other hand, those other fingers then are just being able to clamp onto the bar. Some guys will use like their middle finger for the clutch or their brake or whatever. And, you know, do what, do what works for you. But I'm saying, and then, you know, you, you want to use those other fingers for hanging on over on the clutch side on the left hand. I also am a guy that uses most of the time, only my right or my left index finger every once in a while. If my fingers are really tired or my hands are really tired, like maybe maybe it's a long downhill where I'm holding the clutch for a long time and it isn't quite as critical for me to hold onto the bars with like, you know, quite as much force. I'll bring my middle finger up as well. So I'm using my middle and my index finger. But if it's anything like any technical situation where I'm going up or the, I'm going to be using power and things, I try to have just my left index finger on that, on the clutch and the other fingers are there hanging onto the bars, you know, because my, where you have your strength, your, your, your dexterity is in your, you know, your pointer fingers, your index fingers. And then your strength comes from your your middle finger and your ring finger. That's where your grip strength comes from is those, those two fingers. So I, I don't like to split my power fingers up. Um, And using one of those on the clutch, I know uh, you'll see motocross racers that are doing that, you know, off the gate, you'll see them using their middle finger uh, to access their controls. And if that works for you, cool. My point is, though, let's keep four fingers wrapped around the controls whenever possible. um, And not using two or three. If you're using three fingers for the clutch, I mean, maybe you might need to get a new clutch lever. or 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 clutch level you might need to just uh lube it put some wd-40 on there you might need a new clutch cable because it's so jammed up and it's so gummed up that it's just uh, do yourself a favor if you've got like a a a, um, steel-braided clutch line on a honda yamaha you know kawasaki something like that let's uh spend a couple dollars and get us a brand new clutch cable and then let's actually grease. Take your take your lever apart and put some grease up there. Clean everything apart so that the pivot points on that can actually move. You 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 will thank yourself later when you clean that stuff up so that your controls actually work well. So that's my fourth uh, fourth thing is your bike setup and your bars and your controls. Oh, and sag. I forgot. Let's make sure to set your sag. We kind of touched on it, you know, in the beginning of that where it's like you might need a different um a different spring. Uh, to hold your bike up, but essentially with sag, we want somewhere between 100 and 110 millimeters of sag on your bike, depending on what the you know manufacturer recommendation is and what some of the other uh, riders in your your genre are doing. It's going to be somewhere between 100 and 110 millimeters of rider sag, which is you. And the way that I'm doing this now, that's totally repeatable and I think is the best, is to stand up on the pegs and take that rider sag measurement from standing up on the pegs. You know. That I think it's the most repeatable thing. I've been putting between 105 and 108 millimeters of sag on a lot of the different bikes that I've had recently, and had some good, um, some good thing with that. So actually, that was five, and, that was four and five, because bike setup, and then having you know covering the clutch and the uh, the clutch and the brake with one finger. That was uh, that was tip number five. So off on to tip number six. Um, this one is a tough one, and this one is one that I'm working on. Don't always skid the rear wheel. So there will be times, yes, when guys will want to uh, skid the rear wheel. You know, maybe they're trying to, they'll lock the rear wheel up to help them turn or whatever. But here's something that I've noticed when I've been riding with some really, really good riders. Like in 2019, I had the ability, I had the opportunity to ride with Shane Watts, you know, you know, super good, awesome desert racer, uh, GNCC style racer, very, you know, won a lot of races and he's ridden motorcycles his entire life. One thing that I noticed is he hardly ever skidded the rear wheel. And he was going a lot faster than me. It didn't matter if he was riding his 150 SX or his TTR 230, there was no way any of us could hang on to him when he just started to go. We couldn't stay with him, and he wasn't skidding the rear wheel. So, like what I'm talking about is this. One day I'm out at like Cherry Creek with uh Shane Watts and it was like perfect dirt day and everything and he's riding his TTR 230 because he didn't need to ride anything else with us. And I was leading for part of it. And then, uh, and then he, and then I have, I'm like, Shane, just go ahead of me, um, you know, just go ahead and, and we'll follow you for a minute. And he would just go. And it wasn't like he was doing anything crazy, but he would just pull away from me. And the more turns that we got, the more he'd pull away. And it was hard to tell because he wasn't, he wasn't spinning the rear tire and he wasn't skidding the rear tire. And so it was almost difficult to tell, like, has he even gone through here? You know, cause there were, there were no tracks, but yet he is just going. You know, and he's just holding more speed. He's not, he's not in the tire. He's not spinning the tire, but he is going faster and faster and faster and faster than me. And then I'd get somebody else that would be, you know, if I was like third in line that day, it was so much of a different story because I was riding with guys that are good. But what would happen is Shane is up in the front and he's not skidding at all. He's not making any basic you know he's not locking up the rear wheel but then the guy right behind him is pushing it as hard as he can and he is locking up the rear wheel he's locking up the rear wheel coming into the corners he's spinning the rear rear wheel coming out of the corners and i mean i know a lot of that is fun that's some of the reason why we like to ride dirt bikes is to you know <laughs> get on the gas and spin the wheel but it isn't it doesn't always, it doesn't necessarily make you any faster you know we think that we're going faster but we're probably not actually so if we can get to the point and i've tried to do this more and more you actually have better braking and better control of the bike if you, can, if you can use the rear brake in such a way where you're not skidding it. And a lot of times even going down steep hills, when you skid the rear wheel, and sometimes it's unavoidable, but when you skid the rear wheel, it's, it is giving you some braking. But once it, once it breaks traction, there's a little bit of a you know, a reduction in its braking power when it's just skidding the rear wheel. On you know those downhills, and when you're trying to come into a corner, you're probably better off to do some hard braking, but trying not to skid the rear wheel, and then let off and roll through that corner. And you don't always need to clutch when braking. You know this is a this is a tricky one because if you're using your rear brake and you're not using the clutch, and you get just a little bit too much uh, rear brake. Um, it will stall the motor, right? And if you're on a two-stroke, generally you can just let go of the clutch and it'll just fire the thing right back up. If you're on a four-stroke, a lot of times it'll mean you're actually dead in the water right there. But it's just one of those things that you can kind of do and start to work on, which is trying not to skid the rear wheel, trying not to break it loose or you know, get it um either break it loose by too much power or or lose traction by skidding it. Um so just things to think about on that rear wheel. I know that the guys that I go with that are much better than me a lot of those really good pro level type riders, they're not skidding the rear wheel nearly as much as I am. They have more control over it and they keep the thing rolling, whether they're braking or whether they are accelerating, they don't spin it as much and they don't skid it as much as me. So take that one for what it's worth. That's number six. Number seven tip here, point your toes in. This is one of the things that I heard very early on in my Riding, and I've tried to put this and instill this into my boys. Man, my phone has just been ringing off the hook. I don't know who's been calling me. My internet is down, uh, but my phone is just smacking off the hook. Uh, So, sorry about that. So, pointing toes in. Why do we want to point the toes in? And then, why do we want to ride kind of on the balls of our feet? Now, um, a lot of people will ride kind of on, on the arches of their feet. I don't like to do that. I'd rather be on the balls of my feet so I've got more ability for me to absorb hits and things like that. I want to be more on my toes or on the balls of my feet on the pegs. Obviously, if you, if you're too much on your toes, that can be super dangerous and going off of a jump or something, you can really hurt yourself. But the whole point is I like to be keeping my toes pointed in and being on the balls of my feet as much as possible. This means if I keep my toes pointed in, they don't get swiped off nearly as much, whether or not you're in a corner. Obviously, if you're in a corner, you might bring your foot up the one that's close down to the ground, but pointing the toes in keeps you from getting it wiped off by trees and rocks and roots and anything else. And just like the ruts on the side of the rut. When I see my kids out there with their, and you naturally, you want to kind of go duck foot on the bike, especially when you sit down just the way that our skeletons are, um, you know, the, the, uh, skeletal geometry of our bodies you you, you want to put your, your feet naturally want to go out. The toe, the toes want to go out, especially when you sit down and you really have to combat that, you know, cause I walk more duck footed, right? D- if I'm just walking down the road, duck footed would be the toes out and pigeon toed would be the toes in. Now, neither one of them are super great. I'd rather be a little bit duck footed, excuse me when I'm walking, but, um, th- as opposed to pigeon toed, But when I'm riding my dirt bike, I always try to think about being a little bit pigeon toed, keeping those toes pointed in so they don't get swiped off of things, you know, and if you can do that and you can kind of be more on the balls of your feet than the arches of your feet, I think you're going to be in a better position to absorb impacts and things like that and keep your feet away from the control so you don't accidentally have shifting. This happened to me just the other day, just the uh, last, uh, last week. I had my left foot just a little bit too far forward, you know, closer to the arch of my foot. And I I was going up a hill and there was like kind of some step up nasty rocks. And I was riding the beta and the bike kind of like popped up into me when I wasn't expecting it to. And it like jumped up this little section. And what happened is my foot was just a little bit too far forward and it accidentally clicked the bike into neutral, which super sucked. And... <laughs> And then I fell down the hill because the bike, and it wasn't the bike's fault. It was just my foot was in the wrong position and it clicked me in to neutral. If I'd had my foot just a half of an inch further back in the correct position, then the, I wouldn't have been able to click that into neutral on accident. So there's a couple things for you. Number seven is pointing the toes in and watching the position uh, to be closer to the balls of your feet rather than farther, you know, like on the arch of your feet. Here's another one that I just... I didn't start doing until a couple of years ago, and it has just made my riding so much more pleasant and just quicker. And I can react to things quicker, which is don't clutch the bike when shifting down. These are constant mesh transmissions, and you're not going to ruin anything by clicking the bike by just, you know, clicking down without using the clutch you're not going to wear it out any faster. I've talked to mechanics. Now there might be a teeny, teeny, tiny extra bit of, you know, shavings down in the transmission after a hundred hours. Uh, But it's not something that we have to worry about. You don't have to clutch when you're shifting up either. It's just what you want to do is you want to take the load off the motor if you can. Now, a lot of times in racing situations, I've heard about guys on the starting lines and stuff, and they'll just power shift where they just leave the shift on, you know, the power on and just really click that thing up. Because if you use a lot of force, it will click it into the next higher gear. But if you just, if you just touch off the throttle for just a fraction of a second you know, take the load off the motor and the transmission, it will, you can pull it up into the next gear really easily. Now, if you don't want to let off the power at all, then using the clutch as you shift up is going to take that load off and allow you to shift into the next gear and it'll be fine. But I'm not necessarily talking so much about the upshifting right now. I'm just talking about downshifting in downshifting. You basically never need to use the, You know, you need to use the power or or the clutch. You're going to be off the power anyway. The load that's on the bike when you're downshifting is generally just the load that's the drag from the motor as it's in a high gear. You've let off the gas already. You're typically slowing down. And so there's very minimal load on the transmission and the gears right there because it's just it's just the motor, uh, you know, the, the motor resistance against the rear wheel. And so you can shift it down really fast really fast. And it's almost like you feel more connected with the ground and with the bike. It's something that I I wasn't doing it until about 2017-ish, late in 2017. And it's just I love it. I love it. It's transformed my riding because I can shift down so much faster. It makes those times when you're, you know, going up a hill, maybe you're up a hill, going up a hill in second gear. And you realize as you get closer to the top that you're going to need first gear. And so you just, boom, just stomp on the thing. And you're in first gear instantaneously. There was no power loss because you, you know, fumbled something with the clutch. It doesn't take a long time. And it's just so much of a more seamless transition into those downshifts when you don't use the clutch and it's not going to ruin your bike. It just isn't. I know there's a lot of you guys out there. Well, there are people online that will want to argue that point and argue it till the cows come home and tell me that they're, you know, I work on transmissions on cars and you have to do this and blah, blah, blah. And there's even some guys out there that are going to say, I work on transmissions on dirt bikes. And, and that's just a way to ruin your transmission. The thing is we're not riding these things millions of miles. We're beating the living H out of these bikes on the outside. I don't think that I don't think we're adding enough extra wear into these things to even worry about that when we're just downshifting without the clutch. I love it, and it'll make your shifting faster, more efficient, better, and make it so you can make it up some obstacles that you otherwise wouldn't have because you're not spending so much time off the gas and and out of rhythm. So don't use a clutch when shifting down. That's my tip number eight. Tip number nine, getting towards the end here, is weighting the outside peg. Now, this is one of these things that I... I constantly need to continue to work on it and, and do that more and more and more. If you think about it on a corner, like if you watch a guy in a, in a corner, they don't have any weight on the inside peg. They've actually lifted that foot up. So if they're putting any downforce, at, like if you're going around a right-handed turn, all of your downforce on that bike is going to be on that left peg. It'll be on the seat and that left peg because your right foot has been lifted through the corner. Now we can take that same principle of weighting the outside peg On all of our corners, a lot of the corners are, or maybe this, they're just like sweeping turns. So it's a sweeping left-hand turn or something. You should think about putting as much weight as you can on that outside peg. So if you're doing a left-handed corner, the outside peg is going to be that right leg. And you put the weight there on that peg. And it's kind of startling sometimes how better the bike tracks through that turn when you just shift your weight to the outside, it seems counterproductive. It seems like you should be leaning to the inside and yes, you will be leaning. So the bike will lean, you know, so if we're going to, be, if we're turning to the left, the bike will be leaning to the left. That's how we turn on motorcycles, right? But we'll be waiting the outside. So if we're turning to the left, we'll, we'll lean the bike over to the left and we'll be putting weight on our right foot peg. If we put weight on the left foot peg in that case, it makes us lean over too far and it it counteracts. You know, it, if we just it's a tum, it's a snowball effect and we end up turning over and washing the front wheel out. What we want to do is keep weight on that front wheel and on that on the geometry of the bike going that way. So we weight the out, outside we lean the bike over, put weight on the outside peg and that's putting a down force through the bike in a in a geometric way where the force is actually being applied better to the ground for more traction. It just it just works, guys. If you if you weight the inside peg, you're taking weight off the wheel. We want to force more of our weight down through the frame and down into that tire, into the ground. And if we weight the inside peg, we're doing we're not doing that. We're putting our weight too far on one side of the bike, and it's not going to work, and we don't get the traction we need. So let's weight the outside peg on turns. Last one I'm going to talk about, and I don't do this one a ton because a lot of times I'm not doing fast enough riding. Um, and tight enough turns where this does matter. But every once in a while, once, a, once or twice or 10 times a trip, you'll have times where you need to sit on the tank in turns. Now, what do I, what I, mean, what do I mean by that? When we're going fast and we're doing those turns, we were just talking about waiting the outside peg. We want to slide as far forward as we possibly can. It will basically mean that if you're doing a turn, like if you're trying to turn in a rut, which I'm horrible at, I'm horrible. I'm the first one to admit I'm not a good, you know, fast turn guy, go through ruts guy, because I haven't done it. I don't go to tracks where it's just like you get to practice over and over and over and over again on one turn. But what I will say is when you do those turns, you want to do the braking, 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 and then shift all the way forward, throw your weight forward so that you basically you're sitting pretty much on your gas tank and then carry through that turn, you know. And if it's that tight a turn, you probably will need to pick your inside leg up. And carry it out; otherwise, it's going to get torn off. And it's there to kind of counterbalance you through the turn. Super scary to do, um, but you, you shift your weight and go all the way up, on, all the way up on the bike, and be sitting right up on that gas tank. And if you do those things, if you do that, you're going to put more weight on that front wheel. That's the whole idea of it: is you put more weight on that front wheel so it has traction and it doesn't blow out. And if you're shifting your weight all the way forward and you're putting all your weight down on that, you know, that outside peg, then boom you're going to have a better chance of making it through that section and through that turn. So I hope those 10 things are helpful for you. Um, those are things that have really, really helped me in my writing. And so I just wanted to share them with you guys. The, again, there's like a shorter video of this online on YouTube, uh, where I talk about this from a couple of years ago. But here we went into a little bit more depth. I just want to thank you guys for all the support that you have shown to me over the years. If there are um, questions that you have specifically, you can email those to me, kyle at dirtbikechannel.com. You can also hit me up via Facebook and uh, Instagram, but I'm not quite as fast and responsive But those. Eventually I will get to your question if it comes on social media. Sorry, I need to be better at that. If you have ideas, uh, for podcast topics or guests that I should bring on to the show. I'm going to have to get some more guests on. Cause I it's a lot of work to get, <laughs> to get guests on. There's a lot of planning that has to go into it. I need to buckle down and get a couple more guests to come on here because those are super fun, uh, super fun and fulfilling conversations, but I need to get more of that. But if you have podcast topics, uh, email them over to me, Kyle at dirt And, uh, yeah, so I need to go out and uh, get some more work done and hopefully we can get the weather cooperating with us so that i can get some more seat time on the bike so that's what i got for you guys uh remember wherever you go let's leave a single track thanks